Hello and welcome to Queer as Fact, a podcast bringing you queer history from around the world and throughout time. I'm Irene. I'm Jason. I'm Alice. And today we're going to be talking about 6th century Chinese general Han Zigao. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast and pay respects to their elders, past and present. We recognise them as the custodians of an oral tradition far older than this podcast. I have a few content warnings for this episode. It contains discussion of a relationship with a large age gap that begins when the younger participant is a teenager. It contains a coerced death by suicide. And some discussion of homophobia and transphobia in the present day. I'd just like to go quickly through the structure of this episode because it wound up being an episode about like three different things. First off, we're going to be discussing the actual historical figure, Hansa Gao. I think we should just flag now. There's a steam train driving past our house repeatedly and you're probably going to hear it during this episode. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's not a lot we can do about that, but we apologize. Maybe we can post a picture of the steam train on our social media. Following this, we're going to take a look at a play written during the 16th century about a fictional character, Chen Zigao, who is clearly inspired by the real Han Zigao. I mean, they basically have the same name. They do have the same name. A star. (laughs) (laughs) The dots, I'm connecting them. (laughs) Yes. And then we'll finish off by talking about the movie that I made you both watch. (laughs) (laughs) You sure did. In my defense... It was the impetus for this episode. That's true. We Alice had... discovered it on some Tumblr post and was like, Irene, do you want to do this? And which is also inspired by the real Hansa Gao's life, but does not closely resemble the reality. And that's from like 2016, right? Yes, from 2016. Yeah. With regard to the life of the original Hansa Gao, we have essentially one primary-ish source. That's both good and bad. Like, there's no conflicting texts when you have one primary source. That is correct. There's, like, one paragraph you have to read, and you're like, well, that's all the contemporary information we have. Great. It's going to be short and sweet. That is correct. (laughs) I told you it would be a short episode. Do I just read us that paragraph? (laughs) I seriously considered it. I was like, maybe I'll just slap a translation of this in there. Our information comes from a document called Chen Shu, which translates as the Book of Chen. It is the official history of the Chen dynasty. You're not expected to have heard of this dynasty. It how, lasted for 30 years. How do you spell that? C-H-E-N. Okay. I'm just, my entire reference to this is that movie that me and Jason watched this morning, the 2016 one, and yes. I was just trying to think if like that name came up in the movie at all. It is the surname of the... The boyfriend? The like yeah. older boyfriend? Yeah, it's the okay. surname of the general he falls in love with. But you're not expected to know anything about the Chen Dynasty. It existed from 557 to 589. I don't think you can really call that a dynasty. I'm sorry, Chen family, but... uh, Within that 30 years, there were six emperors. Okay, but that's on them. You don't get to just be like, well, we're going to have a new emperor every year, so we have a dynasty after five years. This isn't like AFL premierships. It It gets worse than that. This is towards the end of a period in Chinese history, which we call the Six Dynasties period, which lasted for 400 years. Okay, so all the preceding dynasties got like close to a century. Yeah. And how long did Chin get? 32 years. 32 years. Okay, so they were like the shortest, but that was kind of just the trend of the time. That was just kind of the situation for those 400 years. Okay. Um, So the Book of Chin was completed in 636. So like 
40 years after the Qin Dynasty ended. Okay. It's essentially a book of biographies of the emperors of the Qin Dynasty and key figures in the dynasty. The bulk of the text was compiled by Yao Silian, based on drafts written by his father, who was a civil servant during the actual Qin Dynasty. Loving all these detailed facts about the 600s. Like, you don't have this stuff in Europe. (laughs) Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, they write literally everything down. Um, Thanks, Chinese bureaucrats. um, Really coming through. (laughs) Yeah, they, they really do. So... That's the source that this comes from. It's not quite a primary source. Yeah, I mean, like, I think we definitely face this, like, my experience is mostly studying, like, ancient Rome, but Mm. people call anything that was kind of, like, written in Greek or Latin a primary source. And it's like, some of these were written, like, 500 years after the event. That's like if I read about the 1500s. That's not a primary source. This was written, like, I don't know. 40 years after the event, based on notes by someone who was present. That's so, pretty primary. Pretty good. In the well, scheme I mean, of... I mean, it is literally secondary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in the scheme of historical sources about something over a thousand years ago, that's pretty primary. <laughs> I-, I was going to say, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Oh. I guess in the dichotomy of primary and secondary sources. Yeah. Yeah. Han Zigao was born Han Manzi. If we take the ages and events we're given in the Book of Chin at face value, we can calculate his birth year to be around 538. Okay. All that the Book of Chin tells us about his family is that they were of modest means. Mm -hmm. In the mid-550s, returning to his hometown after fleeing war, Han Manzi joined a military unit travelling on the road to ensure his safe travel so he hasn't like signed up to the army he's just traveling there's like he's like a camp follower yeah the army's traveling and he's like i'll be safe if i tag along with them makes Mm. sense and they're heading in the right direction yeah so that works out it's like hitchhiking before cars yeah yeah except if you were hitchhiking in a tank (laughs) (laughs) if you were hitchhiking though and a tank pulled up would you get in absolutely not (laughs) I guess if I was in, like, a war-torn country, which I guess he is, given that he's fled his home yeah. due to war, it's obviously a different situation. And I, I mean, I've described to you the instability of the situation already. Yeah. So, to bring my complete lack of knowledge of Chinese history to the table, I've heard of the Warring States period. Is that a different unstable period? Yes. Okay. Never mind. Then. I don't have any idea what period we're in. Um, and so, at the point at which he joins up with this military unit, is this during the this 32-year dynasty? Uh, not yet. It's just before. Okay. okay. Just before. And joining up with this unit brought him to the attention of the general Chen Tian, who would later be Emperor Wen of Chen. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. And this is what the Book of Chen says about their meeting. At the time, Zigao was 16 and still tied his hair in horn buns. So this is like a style, like a youthful hairstyle. Is that like... What would you might call like space buns, like one bun on either side of the yeah, head? Yeah, like dumpling <laughs> buns. Yeah. You know. yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense because they're curved like like a ram's horns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, his face was beautiful, and his overall appearance was just like a woman's. Okay. Noticing him, Emperor Wen asked, "Are you able to serve me?" Zagawa assented, and that's their first meeting. Okay, cool. It's much more relaxed than in the film. Yes, it's extremely chill. He's literally just, like, there. And he's like, you seem hot. I want a job. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, no worries. I am fleeing my war, so I need a job. Yeah, basically. So Chen Tian gave him a new name, which was Zikao. This is not that weird a thing to do. 
okay. at the time. It's not like out of nowhere. I know you two have been watching The Untamed, so you would be familiar <laughs> with the courtesy name situation. We do know how everyone has a thousand names in Imperial, or like in the case of Untamed, like fake fantastical yeah. Imperial China, but you know, Imperial China. Yeah, so it's not that unusual that people would have multiple names or yeah. that he would get a new name in a new situation in his life. And so does the girl... I'm sorry, my Chinese pronunciation is going to be bad, have like a significant meaning or was it just like you're getting a new name? It doesn't have any particular meaning like relating to his life or anything like that. Gao means like high. Does match Chen Tian's courtesy name. What's a courtesy name, Irene? Ah, we discussed this just just before. So the typical practice, especially for highborn people, is that they'll have a birth name that they were given at birth. Yeah. Um, which you'll use with your like close friends or close family, or people might use if they're referring to you disrespectfully yep. and things like that. Yep. And then people will have a courtesy name, which is given to them closer to adulthood, mm-hmm. and they'll use in like formal situations and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, yeah. In addition to this, emperors will often have a third name, which is like their emperor name. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a yeah. very common thing for royalty slash popes yeah, yeah i mean like we even still have this like you know elizabeth was not called elizabeth when she was a child mm. yeah so chen tian's courtesy name is Zihua, yeah um which the first character in that is Zi, which matches Zigao. okay um so he's kind of chosen him a matching name cool 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 like twin names it's a little gay <laughs> it is a little gay it is a little gay at first Zigao just worked as kind of an assistant to Chen Tian. He, like, prepared his food and wine or carried his items for him, just a sort of general fetch and carry role. Made his coffee, did his photocopying. Yeah, basically. Kind of like an intern, kind of like a squire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But as he grew older, he was given the opportunity to train in military arts, and he proved to be quite good at that. Most of the easily available English language sources about Han Zigao will tell you at this point that he became the favourite lover of Chen Tian. Okay. We don't have any specific evidence for that. It's certainly not impossible, but in as much as the Book of Chen gives us information about their relationship, it emphasises a sort of bond of trust, respect and admiration between them, but it's not necessarily a queer... Or like sexual bond. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll read to you what we hear in the Book of Chen. Emperor Wen adored him deeply, and there was never a moment when he was not by his side. On one occasion, he dreamt that he was riding a horse up a steep mountain <laughs> track and was about to fall off when Zigao pushed him back up. I'm just laughing because that part was in the movie that me and Jason just watched, like word for word. It's a recurring feature. It's in like every adaptation. <laughs> it's this dream where he's like, I was about to fall off my horse and you steadied me. Yeah. Incredible. Very romantic. Very romantic. Yeah. But that's sort of all it says about their relationship. It says that emperor when adored him deeply and it makes some general comments about his sort of understanding of chen tian's moods and needs oh yeah so they're definitely very close yeah it's not at all uncommon for an emperor or like political figure or something like that to have very close relationships with advisors or generals so it's not necessarily a romantic relationship to be like i adore this man deeply and we're really on a wavelength. Me. We're really on a wavelength. You can just say that about your advisor. Okay. 
Conversely, is there any like cultural like norm of an emperor or a general or something having like a young, beautiful male lover? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. That would be a fairly standard thing and a fairly accepted thing at this in this period. Okay. Until quite late in Imperial China's history, so until around the 19th century, male homosexuality was, I wouldn't say it was like completely accepted. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't consider a relationship between two men to have the same cultural status as a relationship between a man and his wife. Yeah. But it was not uncommon for men to take lovers. Okay. Who are the men? Just thought I'd clarify that. <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> to be clear. Um, yeah. And it's considered kind of acceptable provided that that doesn't obstruct their like familial duty to marry a woman and produce children. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And to follow on from that, do we have any other evidence about Wen's sexuality and romantic activities? Not really. I assume he was married and had kids, but that yeah, doesn't really but we tell don't us really much. know a lot about what his preferences were. Mm-hmm. Like, especially someone in a high social position, it's very difficult to read into their marriage to a woman and mm-hmm. having kids as being anything other than fulfilling a necessary social role. Yeah, yeah. Like, I definitely don't think we can assume he's attracted to women because he's married one and has kids. Obviously, that also we can't assume that he's not attracted to women. We just don't know, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You might remember from... A long time ago in Queer as Fact history. (laughs) How long? Before before Jason was here. In like BJ. (laughs) Yeah. I think you should reconsider that. I know. I started saying that and I was like, I'm saying that. (laughs) It's too late. It's coming. That's going in outtakes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, But do you remember Hamish doing an episode about like euphemisms to do with same-sex love in Chinese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there was that story about the bitten peach and the story about the cut sleeve. Yeah, Well, yeah. I, I can recount them briefly for you. Or you can go listen to our episode. <laughs> or you can go listen to the episode. Um, but the story of Emperor Ai of Han, the Han Dynasty being slightly preceding this Sixth Dynasty's period. Yeah. And his lover is quite similar to... It's quite similar to this in that he takes on a much younger and very beautiful man... Mm. Um, and like trains him and gives him positions of power oh yeah I, re- I remember that and it was like a conflict where people were like stop giving all this stuff to this random guy just because he's hot and the emperor was like but what if i continue to do that <laughs> <laughs> that is correct um yeah. yeah so there are a lot of parallels between those mm-hmm. stories and i think you can see even from that that like it wasn't a unheard of thing to do yeah 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 um although these things do happen like 500 years apart um, mm-hmm. It's an ongoing through line in the sort of culture. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it's not direct evidence of a romantic relationship, but it's also definitely not beyond the realms of possibility. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's very possible, but we can't really say one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, in the year 560, Chen Tian became Emperor Wen of Chen. Okay. Over the following six years, he gave Han Zigao an increasing number of powerful positions and titles. Beginning with the general of the right army, this is like putting him in charge of a large portion of the imperial troops. Mm-hmm. He gave him a fiefdom of some 300 households. And then from there, the Book of Chen lists a bunch of like military successes that Han Zigao has, and which I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail about, because it's really just they went into this battle, they won. Nice. Okay, he got some more troops. So unlike... Um, 
Dong Xian, who was Emperor Ai of Han's lover. Mm-hmm. He is recorded as being a very good military strategist and generally successful in the positions that he's been put into. So I- yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is this yeah. isn't the same kind of situation where, you know, people are getting angry at the emperor for giving this guy positions of power that he's not capable of fulfilling. Yeah. No, he's considered to be very skilled in, like, military arts in general. It's not just because he's hot. It's not just because he's hot. But he and is hot. Yeah, the book of... <laughs> he is hot. He is hot. But the Book of Chen puts much more effort into describing him as a skilled soldier and, like, a skilled military mm-hmm. man than it yeah. does into telling us that he's beautiful. It tells us that he's very beautiful at their first meeting, mm-hmm. and then that doesn't really come up again. Okay. When Emperor Wen fell ill, Han Zigao took charge of his care. Mm-hmm. nursing him directly as well as administering medications and consulting with doctors about his care. Emperor Wen died anyway. Oh, oh okay. Mm. I mean, <laughs> yeah. is there any evidence that he was administering to his care in a... Positive? In a, what, yeah, in a <laughs> negative way. <laughs> again, it comes up in the Book of Chen, it comes up as evidence of like their closeness and their trust mm-hmm. in, of each other. And they care for each other. Yeah, obviously, yeah. I'm, I'm not seriously implying that <laughs> no, it wasn't him, but like, it is just like, hmm, the emperor I mean, is dead. <laughs> it's the year like 560. We weren't great at medicine anywhere in the world at this time. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, we learned how to like poison people long before we learned how to properly fix people. <laughs> yeah. After Chen Tian's death, his successor accused Han Zigao and the large army that he was in charge of of plotting to seize the throne and then he was ordered to drink poison. He died at the age of 30. Oh. So that's literally all that we know about his life. Okay. That's the entire primary source document. Well. I've skipped some like military battle details but that's that's the relationship that we know. Okay. Before we go on though, I am going to talk a little bit about Chen Tian's tomb because a number of the easily available online sources about Han Zigao and Chen Tian have an addendum at the end which says something to the effect of like, recently Emperor Wen of Chen's tomb was discovered. Outside there are two guardian statues. These are unusual in that they are a pair of male stone lions rather than the typical male-female pair. Oh, I never knew because obviously I've seen the like stone lions. Yeah. Outside all kinds of Chinese buildings. But I never knew they were like two different lions. They're often, yeah, they are often two different lions in this period, especially. They're definitely two different lions and they have like distinct sex characteristics huh. that you would not know unless you'd sort of read about them. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. A male might be shown with one horn and a female has two horns. And male ones tend to have like a vertical ribbing kind of texture on their chest uh-huh. and the female ones tend to have horizontal. This is so funny to me because it's like, obviously lions the real world animal yeah. have very distinct sex characteristics <laughs> yeah, but it's not yeah. those at all. <laughs> no, but obviously can't. they don't have lions in so. China. So That's a good point, like when China has stone lions are they based on lions that used to exist in China? We They're just... mythological creatures that somewhat resemble lions. Okay, I've um, always wondered about this. So That's kind of what I assumed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you about them in just a second. Um, okay. So, in the 1980s, a pair of stone guardian statues were discovered in the area outside Nanjing, which is where we expect Emperor Wen of Chen to be buried. One of them is a male Qilin, which is a creature with a scaly body, hooves, and horns on its head. Okay. 
So in no way a lion. In no way a lion. <laughs> the other one is a pisio, which is a winged lion. Okay. As I said, we can genuinely tell the intended sexes of these animals. Okay, so that's an established... They have, like, established sex characteristics. Cool. Mm -hmm. And what does a winged lion mean? They're basically just... Normally you would have a male and a female chilin, or a male and a female picho, and they would stand guard outside a mausoleum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So having one of each, like a picho and a chilin... Is odd. Okay. So these, after their discovery, for the next several decades, were exhibited with a plaque that described them as stone carvings outside the mausoleum of the emperor Wen of Chen. However, in 2013, the mausoleum itself was finally unearthed. So they found the stone carvings at the door and then they were just like, neat, and then they went home? I don't know what happened there. I don't know whether it was just difficult to find for some reason. They had been moved a distance oh, or yeah. something like that, but slightly to the northwest of where they found the um, statues, they eventually found the mausoleum. Researchers, upon studying it, determined that it was likely to belong to the Liang Dynasty Emperor Zhao Ming and his mother, who lived some 30 years earlier in the previous dynasty. So why did we think this belonged to Wen? Uh, basically, it's in about the right place and comes oh, okay. from about the right period, but they couldn't date it properly until they found the mausoleum. Oh, okay, that makes um, sense then. So they yeah. just kind of assumed based on context clues, but then they were wrong. Yeah. Okay. So we still don't really know what's happening here. We have this mismatched pair of stone guardians. Yep. Who were like two male guardians of it, one of each flavor. <laughs> um, <laughs> I waded through some archaeological reports in Chinese to try and figure out what was going on there. Yeah. And I really can't answer that question for you. But um, it actually has nothing to do with Wen and Hansegao. We, we think it's not their mausoleum. It may still be, but we think it's probably not. Okay. We think it's from some 30 years earlier. Right. But so that's the less likely conclusion. Okay. It's possible that there were, in fact, two pairs of guardians outside the tomb mm -hmm. and the two counterparts have gone missing oh yeah but we really don't know when they found them the chilean and the pisho were facing each other which mm. sort of suggested that they were a pair but yeah we don't know what's happening there okay. i just sort of wanted to talk about that because it is like if you listen to this episode and you're like who's hansa girl and you go on his wikipedia page it will tell you about the two male stone lions outside the emperor's tomb Okay. <laughs> and I was like, I think I'd better get into that. Yeah. yeah. I, I like the concept of, if you listen to this episode, of like, who is Hansi Gao? And it's like, I mean, if someone asks that question after listening to this episode, then we've done a poor job. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, yeah. mean, I feel like that's what you do. You listen to an episode about someone you've never heard of before, and then you're like, I'm going to Google this guy and see what's out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in conclusion, from the primary material... They may have been lovers. They may not have been lovers. They definitely had a very close relationship, but it wasn't an unusual relationship for an emperor and his, like, best general to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But also it wasn't an unusual relationship for an emperor to have a lover who was a hot young man. So we just don't know. We just don't know. Yeah, and there's okay. just not a lot of evidence about what their lives were like or what their deaths were like. Yeah, we know very little about any of that. So at this point, we've exhausted our primary <laughs> material. Okay. You may be like, Irene, what, <laughs> what are we doing? I mean, I, can we leave now? <laughs> no, you cannot. Let's go home. Damn it. You cannot. We have to talk about a bad movie, but first. First, you have to talk about a good play. A good play. I enjoyed the play. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I think the play was genuinely quite fun. Should we build this as a queer as fiction episode? 
Maybe. Extinguirer's <laughs> <laughs> faction. Um. <laughs> so, whether or not he was actually the Emperor's lover, the fact that his feminine beauty was enough to be worth mentioning in the official history mm-hmm. did kind of capture people's imagination, and he gets co-opted into, like, folk stories and, like, local legends and that kind of thing. And the stories grow ever queerer with ever more (laughs) cross-dressing. Great, great, great. And sometime during the late Ming Dynasty, so we're looking at maybe around 1600. Okay, so we're already a thousand years. a thousand years later. Yep. um, A playwright named Wang Jide produced a work named Nan Wang Ho, usually translated as the male queen. Good, good, good. Okay. It is kind of a cross-dressing comedy inspired by <laughs> the life of Hans Gal. <laughs> this lot makes me laugh because you're like a cross-dressing comedy and I'm like, huh? And I'm like, I guess that's what all Shakespeare's comedies yeah, are. Yeah. And I was like, very Shakespeare comedy vibes to me. If You, you can just read the play. Yeah. Um, I, I was about to say, like, it has very Shakespeare vibes in terms of, like, the fact that it's talking about a previous historical era. I assume it's talking about it in terms that are, like, relevant to the present day yeah yeah you know, like that's just all of shakespeare right <laughs> it's also funny because shakespeare was writing about the same time just in a completely different part of the world that's, that's true. totally true yeah <laughs> he didn't know about true. this guy who was kind of his counterpart <laughs> yeah we know i think wang Zizhe died in about 1623 oh yeah so they were a little way apart but not much uh-huh. i would love a series that just like and maybe this could be a podcast idea for some one of our listeners, um, <laughs> where you just talk about two pieces of media that were made in the same year. Yeah. That would be cool, actually. <laughs> I think that's good. From, like, different parts of the world, yeah. obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a Queer as Fact listener and you're like, damn, I wish I'd thought of making a queer podcast before these guys did it, that's your ideal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds fun. I will give you a rundown of the plot, which is genuinely a lot of fun. But first, I want to give you some context about Ming Dynasty Theatre. It's good, because I don't know anything about the Ming Dynasty. Is that the one that's, like, famous for the fancy pottery? (laughs) I don't know, because I know about fancy pottery from a number of Chinese Oh, okay. (laughs) I'm sorry for bringing my complete ignorance of China to this podcast. That's okay. It's okay. It's what I bring as well. (laughs) Um, I think it is. In that, like, I think it's the one that has, like, at least pop cultural associations. Yeah. Yeah, Ming Dynasty pottery seems like a real thing to me. Yeah. Because I don't mean pop culture, I mean pop history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, the way that traditional Chinese opera and theatre works, and still works, it's still a living art form that exists, there are a bunch of archetypal roles, and generally an actor would be trained to play a particular one of these archetypes. Yeah. So, there is the the key role we're going to talk about here is the done role, which is like a feminine leading role. Mm-hmm. Oh. So when you say feminine, do you mean like... The character is a woman, or? The character is almost always a woman. Okay. The actor could be of any gender. Okay, cool. You can be a male actor who plays done roles. You could be a woman who plays done roles. But as an actor, you would generally not cross roles. So you'd be like, I am a done actor, and that's all I yeah. do. Yeah. You might be a done actor, or you would be a shung actor, which is the male role. Yeah. But you would not be both. Okay. I mean, it's it's just strict typecasting. Yeah, <laughs> it's strict typecasting, but it doesn't depend on the gender of the actor. Mm. Yeah. Um, by the time of the late Qing Dynasty, which is I was talking about before, like the nineteenth century. Okay. Women on stage were generally rare, and so the done role came to be seen as like a male crossdresser's role. 
Okay. Yeah. But this wasn't always the case. And this was the part where I started getting very frustrated where about the way historians wrote about this Mm. because they would just kind of assume that this role was always played by a male Mm crossdresser, which really only became true in the last kind of 300 years of Imperial Chinese history. Yeah. Would these be, uh, say, European historians by any chance? Yes. Historians of European descent? (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it's, I don't know, it's just very frustrating given how much written history they have given us. It's Like, there's so much material and people are like, Imperial China, that was stagnant for 2,000 years. Whatever was true in the Qing Dynasty, that was true the whole time. I think it's just like comes from that assumption that, like, you know, you know your own culture and, like, the, like, very nuanced nature of your own culture. Mm. And you can be like, yeah, the 80s and the 90s are so different. And then people just assume that, you know, and that culture is like, you know, you've got 80s, you've got 90s, you've got 70s, you've got, you've got Chinese. Chinese. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... In the late Ming Dynasty, which was the time of the play, the Ming Dynasty ends in 1644. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There were a number of like spheres where theatre might be performed. There was court theatre, which is essentially when you put on like a lavish, expensive production and the emperor and some of his pals watch it. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. I understand this is how they invented ballet too. <laughs> yeah, correct. There's public theatre, which is like theatre as we think of it today. There are the performers on stage. You're in some kind of amphitheatre setup. There's a bunch of people in the audience. It's... You know, how we imagine theatre now. Yeah. And then there's private theatre, which is essentially you, like, hire a small troupe. You're a rich man or someone. You hire a small troupe to come and perform at your house. I guess that's like in the days before inviting your friends over for a movie marathon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The thing with private theatre is that it tended to be, just in general, a little bit more sort of free and more fluid than other modes of theatre because... It wasn't limited by having not to offend the emperor. Mm-hmm. It wasn't limited by, like, public taste. Mm-hmm. Having to appeal to, like, a big audience. Yeah, you just have to appeal to this one man at the house. I guess if you and your mates are like, we want to play about X, Y, and Z, like, they're going to yeah. do it for you. And they'll often do things where they'll be like, I would like to see Act 3 from this play, my four favourite songs from this play, and then, I don't know, some other things to fill in time. Yeah, yeah. It's like making your playlist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. And it's like a Spotify playlist um, where they'll just insert some random songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spotify will recommend some uh, Chinese theatre to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It also often has an overlap with sex work. Mm-hmm. So you're inviting this theatre troupe to come to your house for acting and maybe also to sleep with them. Okay, yeah. And while public theatre was generally considered an inappropriate venue for a woman to perform. Private theatre troops were often all women. Okay, yeah. That makes sense. Which makes sense. So, Nan Wang Ho seems to have been written for a private audience. Okay. You can kind of tell by the way the actors will frequently, like, address viewers quite directly and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And you get a very, like, a sense of it being a very small, like, a close setting. Yeah, mm. yeah. A very small-scale production. Yeah. With that knowledge now i can give you a quick rundown of the play okay i'm keen so yeah your job is just to imagine this is probably played by women in the time when it was written okay it begins with chen zikao a fictionalized version of han zikao who is checking himself out and telling us that certainly he is the most naturally beautiful person ever (laughs) um he might be he's like i might be the reincarnation of and he lists a bunch of 
like semi-legendary beautiful figures of various genders. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, look at my luscious cloud of black hair and my beautiful tunic. Even you, the audience, may be confused about what gender I am. But I sure am hot. Yeah. Um, Chen Zikao is a Dan role, but it's a very unusual role because it's a Dan role who is a male character. Okay. Mm-hmm. This doesn't happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is the only example I could find. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, so when you were saying earlier that, like, you know, these roles could be of either gender, this is the only example you could find. This is the only example I could find, but I'm no expert in Ming Dynasty theatre. Okay. So I'm not going to say this has never happened in any other circumstance. It's just not the norm. It's certainly not the norm. Dunn roles are normally women. Mm. Like, they're normally female characters. They could be played by an actor of either yeah. gender. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I want to say about Chen Zigao's gender is that while most of the scholarship I read referred to the character as he, they largely acknowledged that this was a choice they had made because in the Ming Dynasty, in Chinese, pronouns were gender neutral. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it doesn't actually tell you in the play anywhere the gender. It tells you you are clear that Chen Zikao was assigned male at birth and cross-dresses... I can't tell you that the stage directions would have always used he for this person because they were obviously using a gender-neutral pronoun the whole time. Yeah, and obviously if the character's saying things like, even you can't tell if I'm a man or a woman audience, like, you know, (laughs) it's deliberately meant to be a role that's kind of, like, about gender ambiguity. Yeah, it very much is, and there are, like, a number of very, like, self-aware, conscious speeches in the play or songs in the play where Mm. they're talking about telling real from false and whether that's a true thing you can do at all. Okay, yep, yep. Anyway, so Zagal is stopped by a group of soldiers who assume he's an enemy spy and they're about to execute him. Mm-hmm. And then they see his beautiful face. <laughs> <laughs> and as we know, beautiful people cannot and have never been spies. That's yes. true. <laughs> and then they're like, maybe we shouldn't execute him. Maybe we should bring him back to see the king, who they say loves in the southern style. <laughs> Which is... That's gay. Would be pronounced nanfeng in Chinese, which is a homophone. It means like South style, but it's a homophone for like masculine style. Oh, okay. Ah, yeah. Okay. Um, as you can imagine, it's gay. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's yeah. a euphemism. So they're like, cool, we'll bring this hot person we found back to our leader and he will be like, nice, and he will bestow favor upon us. <laughs> solid, solid. So then... They take him to Chen Qian, and then while Chen Zigao is, like, prostate on the ground, being like, please spare me, please spare me, Chen Qian is like, oh, just let's execute this guy, whatever. Sorry, can I interrupt for a second? mm -hmm. Are they both called Chen in this play? Yes, they are. What's up with that? There does not seem to be any, like, particular reason for this. There are some just very common surnames in China, and I don't (laughs) know how both characters came to be called Chen in, like, the story as it was passed on oh, okay. um, it's mentioned it is mentioned in the play they have this conversation where chen chen is like we should get married and chen zigao is like we have the same surname that could be weird <laughs> and then they discuss this village where everyone in the village has the same two surnames and they're like well that's not a problem so let's just go ahead okay that's <laughs> okay. fine then so they were self-aware of this yeah okay because like i feel like you like it doesn't matter how common a name is in your society. If you're going to have your two main characters <laughs> yeah. in piece of media have the same name, yeah. you have to be, like, cognition of that. Yeah, yeah no, because, they, do, they do talk about it. Because, like, you know, even if, like, you know, 
Tom or John or Richard is an incredibly common name in Western society, that you still wouldn't have a Shakespeare play where two of them have the same name without talking about that. Yeah, yeah. You have to like flag that for theatrical purposes. Yeah. So yeah. no, they do they do have a chat about that where they're like, is this a weird thing to do? And then they're like, nah, there's this weird village where everyone has the same name and they have no problems. It's fine. It's That's it's amazing. Fine. Anyway, sorry um, for the interruption. He's prostrate on the ground. He's prostrate he's about on to- the ground. And Chen Qian is like, I see an enemy spy, let's execute him. And then Zigao called out and is like, spare me. And he's like, hold on a second, your voice is beautiful, please lift your head. <laughs> um, I feel like Zigao needs to uh, recognize, I mean, he clearly recognizes his beauty based on yeah. the opening statement. But then once he's actually in the plot of the play, he doesn't. Yeah. And has to be ordered to lift his head. And then everyone's like, oh. I mean, I guess if you're meeting the emperor, like, I don't yeah. know exactly what the, like, norms of meeting the emperor were. But I would believe that if you're meeting the emperor, you just, like, cannot raise your head until told to. Mm. Yeah. And also, like, it's kind of a stylistic thing in the play where he's Obviously. directly addressing the audience, kind of setting things up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. absolutely, I'm absolutely yeah. critiquing this fictional character's actions as though on, they're real, as though <laughs> yes. they are real and meant to be logical. Yeah. <laughs> so then Zagal lifts his head, and Chen Tian is like, "Well, you certainly are beautiful. Would you be willing to serve me? What skills do you have?" <laughs> and he's like, "None." No, he is not like none. He <laughs> sings a song. <laughs> Oh, it's a musical. Yes, it is a musical. <laughs> um, and I cannot sing the song to you because I don't know the tune, but I will read it to you in translation. Okay. And you should do it in a sing-song voice. He said, <laughs> My charming figure is used to straddling a horse. <laughs> My soft waist knows how to pull a bow off the most flexible wood. I can with great care hold your precious sword. <laughs> can you? <laughs> With patience, I'll accompany you as you drink from your jade cup. And when you are bored, I'll be the puppet with which you play. He finishes his song and says, not singing, speaking, he says, My lord, I don't dare tell you that I am the most delightful lover. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is that is the implication of everything you just said. Yeah. I love that he had this like euphemistic song where he's like, Oh, I can straddle a horse, I can play with your sword. And then he finishes like, What I mean is I'm good in bed. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's correct. That's correct. <laughs> I genuinely, this was genuinely a good play. I enjoyed reading it. I mean, it. yeah. I, yes. I am, you know, a little jealous that you decided of the two pieces of media about this person to assign us the movie that is not good. I'm sorry that I did that. I just didn't know until <laughs> it was later too late. in the piece. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, I did like just send you the movie and be like, Iron, what if we did an episode on this? I did not send you the Ming Dynasty play because Tumblr did not show me the Ming Dynasty play. No. If you want to consume... Well, Tumblr, as it often is, was wrong. If you want to consume one piece of media about this guy, I recommend this Ming Dynasty play. I will find it. I will put it on our social media. It's quite short. It's Good. great. Good. Um, so then Chen Qian is like, okay, get him a nice horse and let's go back to the palace. Okay. Good. So that's what they do. And that's the end of Act 1. It was a good act. There was yep. a bit of conflict, but not too much. Some humor, song, solid act of theater. In Act 2, Chen Qian has his women attendants dress Zikao in feminine clothing and ornaments. And there's this scene where the women are like passing him things and being like, put on this hair ornament. And he's like, I put on my hair ornament. <laughs> and it's a little scene where he, he dresses up and then he checks himself out. And he's like, I sure am the most beautiful person in human history. <laughs> um... And then Chen Qian is like, well, let's get married and you will be my queen. Okay, good. So they get married. Zigao is extremely excited to become the most powerful woman in the kingdom. I will give you the speech. So you said the most powerful woman in the kingdom. Yes. I'm and... about to read you the speech. Okay. So 
He says, there was only Dong Xian of the Han, who I told you about before. He's the cut sleeve guy. Yeah, yeah. The um, lover of Emperor Ai. Yes. Who once, because of the Emperor's favor of the cut sleeve, could lord it over grandees and ministers. But even he did not have the primary position in the harem. Today I will be crowned and receive an official status that tops all other consorts and women of the court. To have such a high position and power as a woman will render my name praised for a thousand years. Okay. So I just enjoyed that he was excited to become very powerful, specifically as a woman. I've noticed that you're still calling him he. I changed this wildly in my script at various times. <laughs> at the moment, it's he. I cannot promise you that I continue to do that. <laughs> okay, so that's not necessarily like a decision that you've made based on how you understand this no. character. Okay, I'm not trying to be like, you're misgendering to gal. I'm just trying to be like, how would like this character's gender be understood um, by the audience or how is it implied to be understood by the other characters? This character's gender would be understood by the audience, I think, as... Like, it would be understood as a man cross-dressing, but with a certain amount of, like, blurring of gender lines involved, that that sounds more clear-cut than that. Okay, okay. So it's understood as, like... The fact that he is a man doesn't stop him from being, like, a feminine beauty, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, it would be just, like, obviously it's going to be a different thing for different cultural contexts. But if I said to someone, so, like, how is a drag queen's gender understood? You couldn't just be, like, a man or a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 And in this context specifically, the performer is probably a woman. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's um, a factor, too. Acting as a man who is dressing as a woman in a, like, role that has certain mannerisms and things which are recognized as feminine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's quite... There's a lot of layers here. There's a lot of layers of gender here. Um, <laughs> the gender onion. So they get married. Chen Zigao acts the part of a perfect wife. At dinner, they serve Chen Qian wine. When Chen Qian asks if he hurt him during their lovemaking the previous <laughs> night, Chen Zigao is like, no, no worries, no worries. Even if you did, it's an honor. <laughs> Um, and then lists a bunch of historical references to women who have, like, sacrificed things for their husbands or things like that to show their loyalty. So that's Act 2. It has their wedding. Okay, yep. In Act 3, we're introduced to Princess Yuhua, who is Chen Qian's sister. Okay, so this is once again similar to the movie. Yeah. Sorry to keep bringing it back to the movie, because I'm sure that a lot of our audience has not seen this movie. <laughs> but that's my entire context. <laughs> um, I think that it's genuinely interesting which parts of the sources the movie draws on and which parts get lost. Mm, mm. Um, so anyway, we get Yuhua, and she's just seen her brother's beautiful new bride. And as far as she knows, Zikao is a cis woman, and yep. she falls in love with her. Oh, so now we've got a layer of... Uh... Yes. lesbianism in the play um, to be specific her quote is like forget about my brother a man falling in love with her I'm a girl and I wouldn't mind swallowing her down like a drink of water <laughs> this is so much like more I guess not just more explicit than I expected yeah, yeah. and I guess it makes sense if it's going to be private theatre in someone's home and these people are also sex workers like you would expect the theatre yeah. to be pretty explicit I mean but like I didn't see this coming. <laughs> I yeah, mean, this is how it is. I mean, public theatre has been quite raunchy at various times throughout history in various places. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> true too. And so Yuhua's first maid is like, you're admiring her beauty. If only I could find you a husband of that sort, you'll be fine in life. Um, <laughs> and Yuhua is like, what are you talking about? She's a woman. How can a man compare to her? Okay, okay. 
That's very gay. That's extremely gay. So we have this very interesting situation, I think, where no matter where we put Zigao, they're gay. <laughs> they have homoerotic situation with Chen Qian, and they have a homoerotic situation with the princess. Yeah. No matter where we put them, they're having gay. No yeah. matter. Yeah. But I mean, also, no matter how you interpret this character, given that the character, assuming it's a private theatre production, is likely to have been played by a woman. Yeah. There's still some gender going on. Yeah. No matter how you read that, the gender of that character and how you read all of that yeah, context. Like, yeah, yeah like even if you read the plot as being one of, well, this is just a person who is trying to make their way in the world and, mm. you know, becoming the queen is a very convenient path to power. Yeah. Mm. Like, even if you think they're not doing that for any gendered reasons, there's still gender going on with the character. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. of the, because of the way in which the character is assigned male at birth, probably played by someone who's assigned female at birth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. the princess's maid, having helped to dress Chen Zigao before the wedding, knows what the situation is. Yeah. And she explains to Yuhua, she's like, what if I told you that... And the exact quote is like, the mistress has one more toggle than you. Where toggle is a euphemism. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> you understand yeah. clearly. It's like one of those little like buttons on your clothes. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's, you know, you know what it means. <laughs> we understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically the maid is like, look, she's very beautiful. She also has a penis. How yeah. does that make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Yuhua is like, all right, I'll go and talk to her. <laughs> Intrigued. <laughs> Intriguing. You and had my interest, now you have my attention. <laughs> yes. And so she goes and runs into Zigao in the garden and is like, I've heard some things about you, what's going on? <laughs> Essentially. And they have this extended conversation where they kind of, look at like the ducks in the pond and one of them is like it's odd how all the ducks in this pond are female and things like that where they just like refer to the genders of random things in the natural world <laughs> just having a chat about you and know Zagao is constantly making a size to the audience like i think i've slipped up somewhere i think she knows something she's not meant to <laughs> so at this point like it's not just that yuhua has turned up and not known the situation Zagao is trying is like socially living as a woman and doesn't want people to know that they're assigned male at birth. Zagao is socially living as a woman in order to maintain this role as the queen. Okay, yep. yep which yep. is secret at Chen Tian's request, essentially. Okay, yep. So Chen Tian wants everyone to think that he's just married a cis woman. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which he has not done. Yeah. And so she goes to Zagao and they flirt and they have this long conversation where eventually she's like, what if we had a secret wedding? And Zagao is like, no, I'm married to Chin Chin. That would be weird. And I understand that this is theatre. So obviously, you know, pacing in theatre isn't like pacing in real life. <laughs> yes. Like, hey, we've been chatting for like 20 minutes. What if we secretly got married even though you're married to my brother? Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So eventually Yuhua is like, we can have a secret wedding or I'm going to tell my brother that you were flirting with me. Um, which sounds coercive, but the stage directions when this happens has Zagao laugh and be like, oh, you've given me no choice then. So that's just like another part of the flirting. Yeah, I think that's how it came across. Okay. 
And so then they have this secret marriage. Um, <laughs> it's literally just the two of them making vows. There's nobody else involved. Okay. Yuhua's maid is aware of what's going on. Okay. Um, but nobody else knows. It does make for this interesting situation with regard to gender where... You would sort of expect there to be a contrast between Yuhua as a cis woman figure compared to Zagao's cross-dressing. Mm. But what actually happens is that Yuhua is kind of adopting a masculine role in their interactions in that she is proposing to Zagao. She is leading the flirtations. So would a man traditionally be the one who proposes? Yeah. So she's okay. taking quite an assertive role in this interaction, which would be perceived as quite masculine. Hmm. Interesting. And when they get married, do they get married as a woman and a man or as two women? They get married literally right then. So I can tell you that they are both dressed as women at this stage. I guess that's all it says in the stage directions is like they make their vows. Okay. But I guess, yeah, all we can hope for from a theatrical perspective is like, what clothes did they wear to the wedding? I guess is what I'm asking. You will find out there is more information about this later. This will become a thing. (laughs) I'm so intrigued. Yeah. And I guess also because it's just the two of them, the way like there's less capacity for them to be interpreted in Um, gendered ways so then we come to act four how many acts in this play this is the final act okay okay um i'm glad (laughs) (laughs) i thought you were gonna say there are 12 no no this is it this is the final act um in act four yuhua's maid tells the king that his sister and his wife has been have been up to some things. Specifically that they're now married or just like, you know, some yeah, stuff's yeah. going on. So he calls them both in for an audience and demands to know what's going on. They Reasonable. Both, they both deny everything. And then he reveals that the maid gave him a fan that Yuhua had painted poetry on and gifted to Tzu When did she have time to do this? This play's happening in, like it that. Happened in the previous act. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I didn't tell you like every fact about the previous act because I couldn't okay. didn't want to read you the entire play. That's fair. Um at that point, Zagao is like, don't blame her for anything. This was all me. I came onto her. Yeah. And Chen Qian is like, I'm so offended, I'm so betrayed, you should both be executed. And they're like, don't do that. Um, <laughs> that would be ridiculous. And he's like, okay, fine, you're my sister and my wife, and I actually care about both of you. I think we can make this work. Why don't you just actually have a wedding and then we'll share? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Is there like any precedent for polygamy either in the Ming Dynasty or back in the Qin Dynasty? In the Ming Dynasty, it would not have been weird for a man to have multiple wives. It is quite weird for a man and his sister to marry the same gender-fluid figure. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I don't think there is a society at any point in history where that wouldn't be at least a little odd. Um, That's never been just the norm. So, <laughs> the, the, like, you know, the family unit is a man and his sister and their gender-fluid spouse. <laughs> Sorry, the king, Chen Chen, is like, all right, you two just get married then. And this is the little speech that he gives. He says, my beauty, let's have you make your vows to each other. Today, you will be a bridegroom. Um, okay, so he's like, but, you married me as the bride, now you're marrying my sister as the groom. But you ought to return to your original garb. However, a gauze cap and black boots, which would be like masculine, would be simply too ordinary. Don't change. We'll just keep you in women's dress. <laughs> and so then they get married as two women. Or maybe as he's... They're the groom, but the groom in woman's dress. Yeah, they're the groom in woman's dress. They're a bridegroom who is a woman. Unclear. And then they get married. And the final end is the king giving this little speech that's like, yesterday you were the wife of a king. Today you're the husband of a princess. Isn't the world strange? (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) And that's that. That's the play. 
Well, that's amazing. Just a lot happened. And I think the main takeaway is that the people in the Ming Dynasty, as we often say on this podcast, believe that gender is fake. They did. They did. They did. And there are just like these constant allusions in the play where like, um, especially Zagao will like come out and address the audience directly and be like, can you tell? Do you still think that you can tell wrong from right? Do you still think gender is binary? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Okay. So I want to engage in some rampant speculation here. Go. (laughs) Okay. Which is that it feels like this play was commissioned by like some wealthy nobleman who was trans and wanted <laughs> to just like explain that to all of their friends. <laughs> it's like when people want to come out as trans to their family or something and they just like show them like a documentary about a trans person or you know, like a film where there's a trans characters. They can be like, so you you enjoyed that, right? Yeah, yeah, me too. Good, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, look, I appreciate that theory. Cannot confirm. Oh, yeah, obviously not. Just, Wild speculation. Yeah. yeah, it just it strikes me like the that story fits so well with that premise. Like knowing yeah. that it's like being probably being performed at a private, uh, private home. Yeah, it's yeah. Just very funny. Like we'll never know the answer, but it is interesting to think if, based on the context, it is a private play. Like, who was this play for? Why did they either ask for this play or did the people who, like the theatre troupe, be like, yeah, this play will suit this audience? Like, who were these people? Yeah, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I did try and find out, like, how often it was performed and that kind of thing. And the second two acts, so the one where Yuhua and Zagao have their secret wedding and then the one where they have their public wedding, yeah. are found in, like, a compendium of, like, excerpts of plays that are quite commonly performed. Okay. So we know that at least the last two acts were quite popular. Interesting. Um, The first two acts, we know they exist, but we don't know how, like, how much it was performed as a whole piece. And as I said before, private performances were often, like, sort of, yeah, mix and match. And I guess some stuff that you might like. If the first two acts are mostly just like setup of, hey, here's who Zagao is, here's who Chen Chen is, here's how they're married now. And it's only in the second two acts that you kind of get this conflict and the like of between like the sister and the husband and the main character. Like, yeah. it makes sense that if people know the play, they're like, yeah. we don't need the first two acts. We all know what's happening. We just want to watch that like intriguing second two acts where yeah. there's the conflict and the like secret wedding yeah, and stuff. They're kind of there. Like, we just want to see the lesbians and then we want to see the lesbian turn around and be a gay man as well. And then we want to see just everyone get married. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, do you know how common. I think you've kind of mentioned this already, but I'm going to ask mm. it again. How common kind of like the exploration of gender or cross-dressing or that kind of thing was in this kind of theatre? It's quite common. Okay. Um, yeah. It's quite common. Most of it is not as convoluted as this. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but things like it's definitely an established thing where a woman performer will play as like a soldier it's quite common for like women to dress in military clothes and that to be sexy oh yeah yeah Um, yeah (laughs) you know cross-dressing is just like a sort of inherent built-in part of the art form okay cool Um, yeah and once you've built in like either way there are women playing men's roles there are men playing women's roles and i guess once you've built cross-dressing into the art form just in terms of like you know a female actor might play a male role or vice versa i feel like it's kind of inevitable that you start actually addressing that on stage and like yeah talking about gender within the play as well i mean it's also kind of an inevitable result of having this system where you have this one art form of theater Mm. performed in two 
different contexts that have different expectations of the gender of the performers. Yeah. You're going to end up with some gender stuff going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, especially as over time these, like, all-women troops and that kind of thing become less common, mm. this moves into being a role for a man. Mm. Yeah. Um, and becomes a different kind of role, like a different kind of gender play again. So, obviously you've said that, like, the troops would have probably been all women at the time this was performed yeah. and then later on would have been all mm. male, probably. Mm. Would they still have been performing the same plays? Like, it, would this play have been performed by an all-male theatre troupe, like, 100 or 200 years or something after it was written? It may have been, or, like, excerpts from it may okay. have been. It likely was performed by men at times, but it was probably written for that, like, all-women troupe for a private audience. Yeah. Was, yeah. This, was this practice of private theatre still common? Like, throughout that whole time it, period? It becomes, again, it becomes less of a thing in the, like, following 300 years. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. We're at the end of the Ming Dynasty. We're moving into the Qing Dynasty, which is the final 300 years of imperial Chinese history. And in the Qing Dynasty, it moves much more towards public performance as we sort of picture it, and much more towards all-male performance. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I'm not about to say that, like, rich men never invited women to perform in their homes, because that obviously has always happened. <laughs> yeah. If rich men have power to do that, they will do that. I very much just liked that literally this one sentence in the source material was like, he looked like a woman. And people were like, I have some ideas about that. <laughs> I've got a four-act play. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And now, as I promised, you watched that movie. We're just going to talk about it briefly. Okay. So I think I we should preface this by saying that Jason and I, and I assume Irene as well, I don't know, watched a very bad version of this movie on YouTube with, like, terrible English translation. So, like, yes. I just want to put that out. <laughs> and, like, the sound cut out at various points. <laughs> yes. I think from what you've said, it probably wasn't missing any scenes, but it did seem like it was kind of missing scenes at various points. Yeah, and it probably wasn't missing any scenes because it never made it to a general release. This was like a demo version of something that they hoped to get picked up and like... Yeah, okay. So yeah. It, it hadn't actually... It just wasn't a finished film. Yeah, basically. Which I will tell you a bit about what happened to it in a minute or what we kind of speculate happened to it because it's hard to tell what the secret machinations of Chinese media are like. Okay. It's hard okay. to tell what the secret machinations of the media industry are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, for context, I made these guys watch an extremely low-quality, like, bootleg version of a demo of a movie hungover after the fake Thanksgiving dinner we had last night. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the experience that they had. <laughs> In our defense, I don't think we were hungover. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I misjudged you. Okay, so. In 2016, a made-for-online movie called Hansegao was made. In the Chinese version, in the original title, it does not have the male queen in it, mm -hmm. but that title got picked up by the presumably the like fan subbers who mm -hmm. brought it to YouTube. <laughs> yeah. It was 67 minutes long, obviously had a small budget, and they were kind of, as far as I can tell, hoping to get past this demo version and create a full movie yeah but that did not happen it, <laughs> that did not happen what did you think other than that the subtitles were bad 
I was surprised by how explicitly queer this film was. And I think that's partly because, like you mentioned before, me and Jason have been recently watching The Untamed, which is based off a queer novel, but the TV show isn't explicitly queer. And I understand that's because that's not, can't be shown on TV in China because of censorship laws. So I was surprised, not knowing that this was made for online and was never a movie in China, how they would just talk explicitly about how Hunter Gao and Jinchin were having sex and that kind of thing. And there was like a line where they literally just said to Jinchin, like, you've been sleeping with men and women. That's why I wanted to talk about this, because it does happen at like a specific period in kind of Chinese media history, mm-hmm. which is to say 2016. A historical <laughs> period. Um. Well, we really are a history podcast here. <laughs> Homosexual relationships between adults have technically been legal in China since 1997. Okay. Um, it's unclear what that means, but as long as you do it in private with an adult, you're technically legal. Okay. okay. The Chinese government maintains this sort of don't ask, don't tell stance, which is like not discouraging, not encouraging, but not promoting. Specific policies with regard to queer content in media have been quite hazy until relatively recently. It was mostly covered under like sort of vague regulations to do with porn and obscene content. But just depicting a queer romance was not necessarily out of the picture completely. So is this like there's a law against obscene content, but no one's really defined what that is, so you can use it when you feel like it? At the point when this was in production, that's sort of where we were at. Yeah. Especially online. Online content was able to be a lot freer than, like, general TV audience content. Makes sense. There was a very popular, like gay web series called Addiction. It showed a romance between two men in like 2015, early 2016. And then in early 2016, the government decided they were having a crackdown on what they called vulgar, immoral, and unhealthy content. Okay. So was this partially in response to this addiction series? Yeah, which was very popular. And they they sort of turned around and they were like, wait, things that happen online do happen in real life. (laughs) (laughs) We want to monitor those also. Yeah. yeah. Ah, yes. The history of just, like, government in the internet age. Yeah, yeah. Catching up way too late. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and at that point, this included, they specifically mentioned, no television drama will show abnormal sexual relationships and behaviours such as incest, sexual perversion, sexual assault, same-sex relationships, sexual violence. Oh, okay. So they've gotten much more explicit about, like, banning queer content. Yeah, so it got much more specific. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. Which is how we get from this point where... They could tentatively make this movie for an online release that was an explicitly gay historical romance. And then by the time they had finished making it, these regulations had been released and they were like, I guess that's never going to happen. So they just made a demo at like the worst possible time. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And that's how we come from that situation to The Untamed where... There's no explicit queerness. There's no explicit queer content at all. And I want to be clear when I'm saying this, that I couldn't find anyone who was involved in the making of the Hansa Girl movie saying anything. Okay, Um, so we're just kind of assuming based on the timelines. guessing based on the timelines that this is what happened, but I spent a lot of time on, like, trying to read things on old Chinese forums. (laughs) (laughs) The things we do for this podcast. And I couldn't find anyone directly talking about where this movie had gone between this demo version and the fact that it never existed. Yeah. 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 I think Um, it is also worth pointing out that the movie is pretty bad. Yeah. 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 Like, 
To be fair on the movie, this was not the, the version that they intended for public release. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like, but I can see why, and admittedly I'm coming at this with a very limited understanding of yeah. uh, Chinese media norms, mm. um, mostly based on The Untamed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the story wasn't like that compelling as presented in the movie that we watched, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah, I guess we don't know to what extent it was like going to be picked up and then these censorship laws came in or it was probably unlikely to be picked up in the first place yeah. and it just yeah. made it like a guarantee that it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. But I do think it was interesting and one thing I thought when I was watching the movie and then reading that play and then mm. doing the actual historical research about Hansa Gao was the way that the movie drew details from both of those, but not the interesting details. <laughs> we neither had the element from the original history where this random boy runs into the army and ends up becoming a great general, depicted in any kind of interesting or meaningful way. Yeah, yeah. Nor did we have the, like, convoluted gender play. Yeah. Like, cross-dressing element of that play. Yeah, like, in the film, like, he's very beautiful... And, like, people kind of reference him being kind of feminine a bit, I think. But it's not like he is a woman or there's yeah. any discussion about his gender. It's just like, yeah, he's a kind of effeminate man. Yeah, and even you can sort of see in his costume. You can see it most clearly when he's in scenes with other women. He's sort of in colours that would be, that are perceived mm. as feminine. Yeah. But he's, like, the actual cut and structure of his costumes is masculine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's not cross-dressing in any... I would suspect, given now you've told us, like, and obviously this was somewhat obvious to us when we were watching mm. it, but we did kind of start watching it, and the video on YouTube is two hours, so we just assumed it was a two-hour movie. Uh, yeah. And then we got 67 minutes in and it finished, and we were like, oh, that's it. Yeah. But uh, I feel like probably they were intending it to focus more on that military history. Yeah. Because there were definitely some spaces, I feel, that they had left where they cut between scenes that I feel like a battle scene goes here were kind of, was kind of implied. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like some more training sequences and stuff to like really flesh out the idea that he goes from being this like effeminate boyfriend of the king to being like this badass general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there's kind of like we have like one battle scene, and then we cut forward a bit, and there's like a conversation of like, "Wow, he did so great in that war," and we have like not seen him do a single thing in the war. Yeah, yeah. Literally, yeah. the only like fight scene he's in, he runs away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like he does that for like noble reasons, but he does run away. Yeah, so, yeah, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Which is totally reasonable. Of him. <laughs> yeah, um, totally reasonable, but not the kind of thing that gets people talking about you as a great warrior. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I guess they probably did intend to focus more on the historical aspect and just maintain that lover element. Yeah, but it is interesting that, like, that thing with, like, Yu Hua, like, in the movie, there's also the scenes where, like, Yu Hua is trying to seduce him. Yeah. But in the movie, she's trying to seduce him as a woman trying to seduce a man. Like, she never thinks that he's a woman and they're never having a relationship as two women. Yeah, and he never shows any interest where in the play it's yeah. this, like, mutual homoerotic flirtation. Yeah, yeah. And also, um, she's not the sister in the movie. Well, no, the sister tries to seduce him near the start of the movie and then that women, other yeah. woman tries to seduce him near the end of the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, well yeah. that's the second woman is the one I'm referring to because she's yeah. the one who gets the kind of, you know, like, you two are together and then, you know, 
his boyfriend is angry at him because yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plot line. Yeah. But she's a, like, evil spy. Yeah. Yeah, she is. Who yes. pretends to be pregnant. Or, no, no, she is no, pregnant. She is I think pregnant. she's really she pregnant. She is pregnant. Yeah. But it's unclear how she got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's unclear if he ever slept with her or not, because he denies it and she says he did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming that he didn't because the movie is very much designed that we should see him in a positive light and see his relationship with Chin Chin in a positive light. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. guess so. Even though Chin Chin is kind of a terrible boyfriend. Oh, yeah. A lot of that movie. He's awful. Yeah. 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 I did find it interesting that, like, they explicitly brought up the trust issues a number of times. Yeah, yeah. Like, they actually had some surprising, like, open conversations about their relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, again, this is just us coming from The Untamed, where they never talk about their feelings ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, they kind of do, but, like, then they don't. Yeah. 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 But, like... Even in in media in general, whether or not it's able to openly depict a relationship, the number of times I have seen a story in which someone is in a relationship, their partner is jealous, and they have an open conversation about how that trust issue is a problem. Mm. When have you ever seen that before? Yeah, yeah. It was quite surprising to see that (laughs) in a random, like historical yeah <laughs> yeah like that military in, like a low budget pseudo historical like <laughs> political trauma yeah I, I will give it that yeah it, it did it did actively avoid that you know trope you have whenever you watch any kind of romantic comedy or mm. like teen drama or whatever where it's just like literally the entire conflict of this story could just be resolved if you had one conversation and you know to its credit again i can't believe i'm defending this movie <laughs> <laughs> They don't resolve the plot because one conversation can't actually resolve the issues in your relationship if those issues are, like, genuine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, so often in, you know, teen dramas, it's like, there's no actual issue with the relationship. These two characters will end up together. It's just that, for now, we're creating forced drama by having them not communicate. Yeah. 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 Uh, Didn't get that here. So, yay? Yeah. (laughs) You get a lot of other weird stuff. Yeah. 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 In conclusion then, listeners, if you want to consume some fictionalized story about Hansikar's life, read that play. Don't don't watch the movie, it's not good. <laughs> that said, the movie does only go for an hour, so if you're killing an hour, like, you know, you could watch it. Anyway. Anyway, that's that's that. Um, <laughs> this has been a good journey into a surprisingly more gendered journey into Chinese history than I expected. Yeah, it was definitely not the episode I anticipated making when you were like, here's this guy, he was an ancient general and there's a movie about him. I thought we were just going to be like, yeah, so like powerful men had younger, beautiful male lovers at this period in history because that crops up all over the world at yeah. all periods of history. And we were going to be like, yeah, that was surprisingly normal. Here's a film about that happening. <laughs> but that was not what happened. <laughs> Which is not what happened at all. All right. With that, we've been Queer as Fact. If you enjoyed that, you can find the rest of our content wherever you found that one, I presume. If you want to contact us, you can find us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr as Queer as Fact, or you can email us at queerasfact at gmail.com. If you wanted to support us financially, we have a Redbubble store where you can get some merch with our logo on it, or you can sign up to our Patreon where you will get a shout out perhaps, depending on what tier you sign up to, or you will get some bonus content, you'll get to see our monthly newsletter. We have now put out our first patron-only episode. Our patrons are getting episodes that are either content that we cut from our episodes because we didn't have time for it, or things that wouldn't make full episodes but are, you know, kind of just a little bit of fun asides. 
So if you want to hear some of that and get some more Queer as Fact content, you only have to pay $1 to get access to those, and there'll be more of those to come. And what is this first episode about? <laughs> <laughs> the first episode is about an archive of Frida Kahlo material. Intriguing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't actually sound that interesting, but I know... There are 200 dogs involved. That's the real draw card. <laughs> yeah, that's the draw card, definitely. <laughs> While we're at this, we owe some people shout-outs who have been subscribed to our Patreon for a while. I will be honest that I can't remember. We may have shouted some of these out before, so if you hear your name twice, that's a bonus. That's because Enjoy. we love you two times. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'd like to thank MK, Alex, May, Rebecca Galotta, Peter Stevens, Dwayne Leckie, Dale Thompson, Scott Chalupa, Sam Ash, Megan Boyer, Lee Brigerman, Griff, Stephanie Torno, and Laura Flegel. Thank you all for your support. You can find all of the information I've mentioned on our website at queerasfact.com. We'll be back on December 15th. Thanks for listening. <laughs>